Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Three Ways to Spot Trauma in Your Clients, How to Tell if a Memory Needs to be Deconditioned. So these are the words of a client. She said, my mother put her hands tight around my throat and squeezed, and I started to pass out. This happened right outside our front door. I 100% believed I was going to die. The look on her face was businesslike. There was no way she was going to stop until I was dead. Ellie related this horrific story to me quite calmly. Fortunately, a neighbour had seen what was happening and intervened, and Ellie's mother eventually went away for a while, to the euphemism, which at the time meant she had been institutionalised. Now, you may be surprised to learn that Ellie was not left traumatised by this experience. She had actually come to see me for help with weight loss. The story of her mother's life, threatening actions, was shared with me only as part of the general background information about Ellie's childhood. But I did take steps to check that Ellie really didn't need help um, reprocessing such an outrageous at the time memory. And then we got down to work on her motivation to exercise and eat healthily. So how did I know that we didn't need to focus on her mother's attempt to murder her when she'd been a child? The incredible shrinking memory. Okay, so contrary to popular belief, not everyone who's been through a horrendous experience gets traumatized by it. Around 75% of survivors of um, trauma naturally de-traumatize without any kind of intervention. And you can see reference one um, on the bottom of the written material uh, for more information about that. Most people process traumatic experience by dreaming it out or talking it out or otherwise contextualizing it, just as Ellie had done years ago. The 25% of trauma survivors who have persistent post-traumatic stress symptoms, such as flashbacks, nightmares, and generalized anxiety disorder, are vulnerable for various reasons, but three factors seem to be commonly implicated. People who fall into this category typically um, were suffering from anxiety before the trauma occurred, were exposed to a greater degree of trauma, and are naturally more hypnotizable. Now, why should that be? Trance the double-edged sword. It's interesting that people who are better hypnotic subjects are more prone to developing long-term PTSD. See reference two at the bottom of the written material. However, it makes sense that the more hypnotizable someone is, the more prone they are likely to be to develop PTSD or phobias in appropriate circumstances. Fortunately, that correlation means that they're easy to treat as well, because we can use hypnosis or a hypnotic te technique very easily with them. What is quickly caused, and a trauma can be learned in a matter of seconds, can also be quickly lifted or unlearned, if not in seconds, at least in minutes. But if most people naturally contextualize what happened to them and don't need help, how do we as therapists know who needs help deconditioning a traumatic memory and who doesn't? One, can they actually talk about it? So-called critical incident debriefing, 
now shown to be counterproductive for many survivors of trauma, see reference three and reference four, tries to get traumatized people to talk about what happened to them as soon after the event as possible. Now that might be okay for the 70% or 75% or so of people who would have recovered naturally anyway, but for people in the more vulnerable group, likely any way to be more severely traumatized, talking about it or trying to relate what happened in words can actually worsen the trauma in the brain by reactivating it and embedding it deeper. Dr. Noreen Tarani, an occupational health and counseling psychologist specializing in post-traumatic stress, explains what happens. And she says, if a trauma victim is debriefed in a state of high emotion, the process can increase the arousal to the point of overload, trapping the sensory impressions in the amygdala. See reference five. If your client can't talk about a trauma, don't push it until you've de-traumatized the memory. Talking about it will make it worse. Step two. Does it still feel recent? Many therapists assume that someone must be holding on to trauma if they've been through something awful. But why? The brain is magnificently adaptive. Some people don't need help overcoming a trauma. Although, of course, if, if there has been a, a massive amount of traumatic experience, then not needing help is quite rare. So these people who don't need help, they'd fall within the 75% of people who are able to talk about it, as Ellie had. Okay, she, she'd processed it. The memory had become narrative in her mind. I asked her to tell me whether when she thought about the time her mother had tried to kill her, she felt anxious right now, 40 years later. And she said, well, it was terrifying at the time. Uh, and I, I said, yes, but does it make you feel scared now just recalling it? And she said, well, no, because I know it's way in the past. It feels like a long time ago. So this told me that this memory, terrible though it was, <clears throat> was no longer live in Ellie's mind. Okay, it no longer felt current. Because of the way the trauma gets lodged in the brain, traumatic memories don't tend to fade with time until they're de-traumatized. So I used the rewind technique to do this in the safest and fastest way possible. Okay. Another client of mine who was in her 60s recalled finding herself hanging by her fingers from a loft opening when her brother, uh, for a laugh, had removed the ladder from beneath, beneath her. Okay. And I de-traumatized this during, during a demonstration in, in a workshop. And she told me that this 50-year-old memory still felt like it happened only yesterday. So ask your client whether the traumatic incident feels more recent than it actually was when it comes to mind. Okay, and that's a sign. Number three, do even nebulous reminders set off flashbacks? So a war veteran I saw would feel terrified at the sound of fireworks or other sudden noises. He also felt compelled to walk down the middle of the road in spite of the obvious dangers because back in Afghanistan, roadside bombs had been common and deadly. A woman who'd been raped by a man with a beard would have flashbacks at the sight of a bearded man. And, you know, that's a lot of flashbacks. You can, you can, of course, ask someone straight out whether they still get flashbacks to an event, but to show them uh, that, they, that you really understand how trauma works, you can ask them whether even the vaguest of reminders sets off a huge panic response within them. The amygdala, deep within the brain, of someone who has uh, PTSD has been imprinted with the pattern of the trauma they've experienced. And this 
pattern contains all the information surrounding the initial event, including aspects not available to conscious processing, conscious memory. And you can see reference six for more on that. Once this traumatic template is in place, all new incoming information is compared to the traumatic pattern to check if there's a complete or even just a partial match that requires the amygdala to fire into action and produce the fight or flight response. This is your key. If just elements of the pattern of the initial incident set off panic, then your client is in need of de-traumatization. Ellie successfully lost weight after working with me, but she had lost the trauma decades before and didn't need my help with that. I'd only have uh, wasted her time and money if I'd taken her down that particular therapeutic cul-de-sac. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk, that's unk.com, slash blog. 